everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, holidays. Happy New Year. Happy, uh, I mean, I think that covers it with, with, happy, with regards to Syracuse. Happy, happy, thank God, 2019's over for Syracuse. Yes, just a, not a great year for Syracuse uh, in general, so... And definitely hope that 2020, I mean, it'll be hard for 2020 to be much worse. Yeah, like 2018 was awesome for, for Syracuse sports in like a lot of ways. And 2019, just like, just overall, like a real like just dog shit year for, for, for SU, like across the board and like on the field, off the field. Like it didn't matter. It just seems like the, the, the other shoe just kept dropping. Yeah, we can really hope to uh, maybe find like, you know, we don't have to stye back to the Citrus Bowl and, and making the, you know, a nice tournament run. But, like, I mean, tournament run would be, I think, reasonable. But, like, can we just at least get back to, like, where not all of our teams are having, like, their worst year in a long time? Yeah, it was, again, 2019, just, like, from the beginning, just things just started going poorly from just, like, random lacrosse happenings. Obviously, you know, the men's basketball team, you know, bowing out in the first round with the Frank Howard stuff. Um, you had Tiana Magakahia's unfortunate breast cancer diagnosis that's ended up keeping her out. Um, obviously, SU women's basketball also got upset early. Um, they were in the second round of their tournament. Men's and women's lacrosse both kind of fell flat. Um, football team obviously fell very flat. The basketball team looks very flat. Now, um, women's basketball team looks better, but also has managed to you know, lose t- repeatedly to top 25 teams and kind of just seems like they can't get over the hump. Um, so, yeah, this has been a pretty tough year. And uh, not going to say it's destroyed my faith in Syracuse sports because it definitely hasn't. And I think if this was the year to do it, that would probably question how much faith I had to begin with. Um, at the same time, I think this is definitely um, sobering in a lot of ways and a nice reminder that, you know, the, the years like 2018 or the years in general that everything kind of comes together um, are few and far between. So make sure you enjoy them as much as possible when you have them. Amen. And hopefully we can get another one uh, here in 20, 2020. Maybe it's like an even year thing as of late. <laughs> 2016 was also, um, at least basketball wise, very good. Um, so hopefully uh, hopefully that that's like a thing. We're just ping ponging between the two. But uh, yeah, to definitely use a better overall 2020 just in life in general yeah we won't get into that aspect there's a lot of other things i could think of for 2022 that uh that'd be really great to happen yes we i mean just hypothetically like just you you can read read upon that what you will um just beyond syracuse sports there are there are other happenings in the world but we 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 won't talk about them because that'd be inappropriate it would Um, dan what was your favorite christmas present this year uh i didn't get anything like too excited i had some nice like travel luggage which i was really kind of without i had like kind of pieced things together here and there and like had like you know okay stuff but i had like a nice set so that was good trying to you know i've been doing a decent amount of traveling the last couple years so i thought it was appropriate um but no mostly just like family time saw friends from home that's always more important to me honestly and i know that's very easy like to to like pretend like that's true but no like i i Definitely enjoy just like the machinations and the goings on at Christmas more than the gist at this point. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's a sign of like being 25 or older. Maturity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maturity. Adulthood. Uh, <laughs> I know for me, it was great to like, uh, you know, my kid's still not like in a, a, she's not like fully aware of her Christmases yet. She's like 15 months. So she's not like there yet. But she's like starting to get it and like understood there was like excitement about it and like starting to be able to like open some gifts. So it was like a lot more fun to have like a really long like Christmas with uh, my in-laws and, uh, you know, my daughter taking from like 830 in the morning until like somewhere around 3 p.m. to get all the gifts open. And just seeing like, you know, excitement and fun about it. Like to me, like that was a good time. And uh, she got some cool gifts. She got some very loud and annoying gifts as well. Um, But some cool gifts in there. I got her uh, some these like small uh, Marvel Comics comics. cars that race along the uh the floor so those will be fun just uh just casually imparting my uh my interest on her as any good parent does exactly i've already bought her plenty of syracuse stuff um 
those who've been shaming me about my TV, I now have a new and bigger TV. Um, so internet bullying does work. And <laughs> my also, wife is angry at all of you. Also evidenced by things that have happened uh, over the course of years. <laughs> <laughs> internet bullying, 100% effective all yes, the time. Very much so. Um, also got a new uh, new set of knives for the kitchen. So excited to, uh, to take those for a spin. I've already tested them out a few times. I've done quite a bit of cooking since I don't really have a social life with a child. So uh, so I'm looking forward to, to putting those to use even more in 2020. Very nice. But back to the thing you're probably here for, Syracuse sports. Um, of course, speaking of other shoes dropping, uh, we had the latest piece of news uh, that we didn't want to hear, uh, which was Tristan Jackson is declaring for the NFL draft. So those of you that thought he was going to be a uh, a First team All American, the preseason, the first team All ACC. Um, those dreams are gone, and uh, and so are you know the uh, the thoughts that we'd have an experienced receiving uh, core this coming season. I think you know I got into it a little bit in, in an article on the blog on Monday, but this is now going to be a little bit of a weird year for this offense. Not really what we were hoping for, um, but I actually think there are some silver linings in there, and there are things that uh, that Tommy DeVito and the rest of the passing game can take advantage of. Yeah, it's it's weird because I think like Jackson had such a good year and it kind of went under the radar because it what he didn't seem like he was having the same the same kind of season as uh, like Ahmed Atawo or even uh, you know Steve Ishmael a couple of years ago. It didn't for some reason just jump off the page uh, the same way those did. But he ended up with a thousand yards, eleven touchdowns, like by far the most touchdowns uh, from a receiving core, and and really seemed to develop a chemistry with Devito that our other receivers did not. Um, that being said, like we, we still have a lot of the guys that were on that tour last year coming back. Now, a lot of them had very strange seasons. Taj Harris, uh, Nikeem Johnson only had 19 catches this year. And we expected a lot more. Um, there are other, you know, we have other talented guys both coming in guys like Ed Hendricks who have not played yet, but, um, due to injury, but came in with a lot of fanfare. So I, I'm not saying I definitely don't think it's like all doom and gloom. Um, but I will say it is a big loss and not one I particularly expected. I kind of thought Jackson would be back. Um, but that being said, if he thinks this is the best time to capitalize on the season he had, you know, best of luck to him. Um, I do think we should break this kind of uh, draft cold streak this year without Robinson, who seems like a pretty much a lot to be picked. Um, pro- probably Kendall Coleman. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Jackson was a late pick, but probably not before like a seventh round. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, and Hoffrichter, who I if he doesn't get drafted, I think he'll catch on somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. Like I think the team would have been better with him next year, but I think receiver like could be a place where we could afford a loss like that. Um, but it requires other guys to really take a step forward. Like we need Josh Harris to really materialize into that wide receiver one that we probably thought we might be getting uh, this year. Um, when really it was Jackson that ended up taking up that role. So. We'll see. Uh, it's not good news, but it's you know it's what happens in college sports. We're we're well aware of how this goes at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have any inside information, but I bet like somebody got in Jackson's ear, obviously, about you know what he could or couldn't do at the NFL level. I think he probably could have used another year, but I also think you know if you if if someone tells you or if you have some reputable sources that say you could get picked, I, I say go for it because you never know. You could tear an ACL in camp, and that's it. And and then you're never getting picked, uh, you know, after even a great season next year. And like, it's not even like, say, say the team takes a bit step forward and the, the share of the receiving uh, load kind of spread out more. And Jackson has like the same exact numbers he had this year. There's no guarantee that would get him picked next year either. Like he could, I mean, he, if he was to blow up and have like a 1500 yard season, he probably would get drafted. But, you know, it would take a lot for him to go from, like, undrafted to drafted. Granted, having two straight seasons like that is a is a, an accomplishment and something that does help. But, like, there's no guarantee that staying for his, what would be his fifth collegiate season, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. with the transfer year, um, there's no guarantee that it helps him. So you kind of understand, like, you know, if if the, the, the benefit of staying is, like, even an outside chance of, like, maybe improving draft position up to, like, the sixth round from undrafted or something, that might not be worth the extra year of unpaid football. Like, so it's, you know, it's a calculation people have to make for themselves. And I do think over time we've gotten better at dealing with this as a fan base. I didn't see too much hand wringing. Um, it probably helps that it happened over the holidays, but um, 
yeah, I mean, you move on. I, I, it's also football, so there, you're going to have numerous other guys uh, who can step up. You just need to find the pieces. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you mentioned how like the numbers didn't you know, jump off the page in compared to years in recent vintage. However, like it was still like right on par with like Alec Lemon's like best season, which was like the best SU receiving season until very recently. <laughs> so I, I think that hopefully people like remember that um, in a few years, like just how like it, it I mean, no, it didn't like blow up any record books, but he would he put himself in the top ten in just about like every receiving record we have for a single season, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I more about that like it didn't when you were like watching the season, like you knew he was playing well, but like a couple years ago at Ottawa, like you watched him and were like this guy is absolutely dominating people, even for a bad team. And and same with Ishmael, um Costas at times last year. And it seemed like Jackson just did it a little more quietly while still being like super productive. Yeah, which again, like that's all that's sometimes like the best wide receiver is is a guy who, you know, you're not hearing much about other than like, oh, he's he's good for a touchdown a game. And realistically, he was when he had 11 scores in 12 games. So um, he's going to be missed. I know you mentioned Taj Harris, and I think that's somebody absolutely worth um, talking a little bit more about. Um, He's going to be somebody who we really need to step up. We thought he was going to be the guy this year. He wasn't. Um, he pretty much was like, you know, not around for half the season. It felt like, um, even though he was on the field and yet still managed to put up, um, almost the same numbers he did last year, which is why, like, as much as this year seemed frustrating, I'm actually hopeful for him that like, if he started putting things together at the end of 2019, that that could actually mean a big 2020. He did. He looked a lot better the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm looking at his numbers now. Uh, he basically disappeared in that those BC and Duke games. And then Louisville Wake, he had sits, sits for 58 against Louisville. He had seven for 70 against Wake. Um, midseason, he had a couple hundred yard games against Holy Cross and Pitt. It was just up and down. Um, but, uh, you know, if he has that form he did in those last couple of weeks where, you know, he's getting six or seven catches and can, and is a, a valuable, uh, kind of a big body threat and starts to get that chemistry growing with DeVito, which was weirdly like an issue this year. It just never seemed like they were on the same page. Um, you know, we'll be, I think he, he's a prime candidate to, to take that next step. And sometimes it takes an extra year, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I still think there's talent in that position. So if we have to withstand a loss there earlier than we wanted, like it's, it's not ideal, but it'd be better than if we lost like a, a key offensive lineman, I think at this point. Oh yeah. And to be honest, I'd rather it happen now than it happened. Like once we got through spring practice and all that because now you get an entire off season of, you know, reps with the first team. I think, you know, Taj is an obvious starter. I think Nike Johnson's probably going to get another shot to be, uh, you know, a starter and probably your main slot receiver now that Sean Riley's gone. Um, but beyond that, it's a pretty blank slate. Um, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in the, uh, depth chart article that I'm writing for Tuesday. But um, I right now have uh, Anthony Quealy and Courtney Jackson slated as the other two starting receivers. I think we're going to run a lot of three receiver sets with maybe two tight ends. But um, I think right now, yeah, Quealy and Jackson seem like the most likely guys to slot in. I think if Ed Hendricks is healthy, he's going to be somebody absolutely worth watching. Um, I don't know if this is the year that Gerard Johnson finally gets going. Uh, And then, you know, someone like Damian Alford, um, who was one of the uh, uh, 2020 commits, um, he's somebody who's one to watch just because for size alone, I mean, six, five, and if he can come in and, and really make an impact early, uh, it would be ideal and maybe fill some of that, you know, deep play gaps. Since right now we don't necessarily like Harris is your only guy who's going to have like real like deep threat ability right now. Um, obviously Hendricks could move into that if he's healthy, but Alfred's another guy who's already like already has, you know, power five size to him. Um, and, and if he has the hands to go with that and the route running and the ability to understand the offense early, he's somebody who could really kind of surprise um, coming into the year. Yeah, I, you, you mentioned, um, obviously, I think three and four receiver will still play a big role in this offense. I would, I'd be very interested to see, just based on where the talent is on this roster, if we saw a bit more of a 12 and 22 personnel, because I think Aaron Hackett, Luke Benson are two of like the quietly more interesting players in this offense. They had combined Benson's for nine so catches. good. Benson's so good. And he only had eight catches, but he went for 176 yards and three <laughs> touchdowns. And like, he just had a team in and out of the offense. Hackett like quietly, just a really nice, reliable red zone target at six touchdowns in the year, which was second on the team. Um, I would not mind seeing just some packages, whether it's in the red zone or, or just throughout the offense. Like, you know, especially if we, if we run out like a, 
an interesting two back formation. Like just get those two tight ends in the field just to just to mix it up a bit. Um, because I do think they both deserve like a, a wider role. We could just look better in pass protection, really. That's going to be key. I think that was like Hackett still got involved plenty. Benson got involved and the running backs got involved on screens quite a bit this past year. But and and that could have been so much more, I think, if we just had help pass protection and we just didn't for most of the year. And like once Ryan Alexander left and some of the shakeup happened after that, we started to see those players get a little bit more um, involved and I think involved effectively in the passing game. So, yeah, I'm really hoping that some of the offensive line improvements that we saw at the end of the year stick, get better, um, and that we end up with yeah more, more more utilization of these tight ends. I think Benson could be a really interesting, if just the rest of the receivers aren't ready, besides Harris and maybe Nikeem Johnson, uh, we could end up seeing Benson even in a starting role kind of as a hybrid tight end wide receiver who can create some mismatches. Yeah, especially if you want to go fast and you want to put two guys out there, you can I- – I think you can split Benson, put him in the slot, and like just oh, yeah. kind of do things to keep the defense on its heels because I, I think he has enough speed to be able to play that role as well. Um, but yeah, that, I think there there should be a, still a decent amount of like malleability with the with the playmakers we have, uh, even without Jackson. So I'm not super worried about it yet, um, especially with how I think the team played pretty hard down the stretch this year. So uh excited excited to fo- going forward uh towards spring towards the february signing day there's a chance you know we still add like a grad transfer here or there or uh you know a late blo- a late rising recruit here and there so because we do have room in our class i believe um so yeah there's uh there's still plenty of intrigue with the football program uh heading towards spring football i don't know if we have a date on when that opens yet but it's usually like late february right yeah they'll give us i think once like signing day wraps they'll probably give us a uh, a general date uh, for, for the spring game too. Usually the week after signing day, I start writing the spring game previews anyway. So we can go with that. I think right now, right now we're at 80 scholarships. Now that Jackson's gone. Um, so we have five to give. There's maybe some like shifting around that needs to happen just based on like, I know like Stephen Bailey did a great article about this like a couple weeks ago. Um, about like just what SU needs to do to make sure like certain guys need to be counted towards 2019 or 2020 because um, you can only I think it's like 27 guys total can be like added to the program in some way shape or form um, for a given academic year so like he had a great article just like detailing how that works but I, I I think we can if we have the players available I think it'd be great to be able to add the full five I think that probably includes at least one if not two grad transfers um, we have a couple in our sites. Um, be great to add a quarterback in there. Yeah, a, a quarterback is extremely necessary. Yeah, and an interior defensive lineman would be great because uh, I just feel like we're kind of we're kind of thin there. It'd be nice to uh, to fix that a little bit if we can. Yep. Hopefully, we are out identifying people because there's a you know there's not a ton of big recruits left, but there are always guys who emerge later in their careers, or are always uh, junior college guys who are maybe. Um, like had some academic questions that have been answered and then grad transfers kind of pop in and out throughout. So we shall see, but I, I would be surprised if we don't add at least one or two more significant pieces by, by the time uh, spring football rolls around or even, you know, after that, just like, I think April is usually where you see like the final, final roster. Cause there's always dies popping up late as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I feel like, I feel like this past year we lost a, de- a decent number of linebackers in the like transfer window and, and realistically like that transfer window is going to extend out for the next like couple weeks. If we're going to lose anybody else this off season, that'll happen probably before the first week of Jan, like by the fir- end of the first week of January and when classes start getting going. So I, I think we should be on the lookout for that if anybody else is leaving. And yeah, like you said, I think annual end of April, maybe we lose another guy or two. We, I feel like we always lose at least somebody during the summer somehow. Um, I know we already lost a couple this year, obviously, due, due to various reasons. So, like I said, I, I think we'll be able to get to 85, or if not, we'll get pretty close. And then, you know, one of the uh, one of the senior walk-ons maybe ends up being able to to get a scholarship. Yep, that's always uh, nice as well. Um, yeah, there's still plenty of time before before next year to to add pieces and and you know, uh, there, without all the bowls over yet, I still think we we don't have a good idea of like what the entire uh, grad transfer pool looked like. So stay tuned, I guess, um, through the, the rest of uh, the like after college football season wraps up and semester starts and whatnot. Um, but I, I'd be very surprised if we were just done. 
Speaking of things we don't know, SU, when you get a higher defense coordinator? <laughs> that would be good. That, that's, that's also a thing that we, I feel like, have done, like, I mean, I haven't been on the podcast in a couple of weeks because we were off last week and I couldn't make it the week before, but, like, we were pretty sure we'd have one by that show. Yeah, and then we didn't. And now it's, like, now the people who were, like, getting concerned, like, it's not like they were right when they were concerned, but now they're right because they still haven't filled the the, the role. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. Yeah, because like now at this point, like if we wanted to add any big defensive names, like um, in whether the JUCO route or transfers, or whatever, like we really have to kind of get a coach in the door because he's probably going to bring at least one assistant with him. Um, we're going to get those guys in the door and start moving so that we can, you know, I wouldn't say salvage this class, but I would definitely say get this class probably closer to like the top 50-ish level versus where it's kind of trending, which is, you know, towards the like mid 50s to to high 60s. Like it's not, just not ideal. Um, And again, that's not to like fuel the like Baber sucks at recruiting and all this other bullshit like fire. But it is to point out that like this hasn't necessarily been like a recruiting class that has this huge collection of, like big names on it. And no, I think that's worth noting. It's very in line with uh, where we've been, which like right. is, is what it is. Minus like that home run is I the one thing. And I think that everyone's harping on anyway. Yeah. I, I, which, which probably means honestly, cause we have had some bigger players in past classes. It means the floor is probably a bit higher. Um, there really mm-hmm. isn't like a, an outlier of like, or like a guy who jumps off the page. is like, you know, I really don't know if this is a power five player, but like you said, there isn't that like borderline four star for the most part that we we often have at least one or two of. Um, and yeah, you can definitely be annoyed like because you think that coming off a ten win season last year, you know that's around the time where you expect to to make a big step forward and at least like break into like that mid tier of uh, power five recruiting. And and it didn't happen this year, so it's uh, it's definitely frustrating. I get that, but um, ultimately, like it's not like we've taken some step back either and obviously that's not like the greatest thing to say but there is like some perspective there and it probably hurts oh, if we sure. had the season we had yeah that's the thing like and you know i know a lot of people like were looking at the class shiana was able to put together rutgers on short notice and, like all this other stuff and like realistically like i don't know i mean we talk about this so much i just i, I don't see a reality where su is recruiting higher than a top 40 level um even even if like we start putting together like you know six and six seasons consistently but like realistically that's still some time off like we really need to go at least six and six like the next two to three years to even start like getting into like the you know boston college like kind of wake forest range um of recruiting success and even then like um like bc as much as we like we deride them has been surprisingly consistent over the last 20 years um while wake uh, they haven't been uh, consistent, but they've been consistent of late. And they also, uh, you know, play in a talent-rich state. So those are two things kind of in their favor. I think, yeah, eventually, sure, we can trend up from into the 45 to 40 range. And that really will be a big difference. And that's probably the difference between going five and seven in a season like this and going six and six, um, given everything that happened. But we'll get there. It's just going to take time. And I think... I think everybody's not knowing anything else besides just like my own hunch here. Like I think everybody got woken up a little bit about um, the situation at SU and that goes to the coaches, the players, everybody that, and, and the fan base, hopefully about like, just how much of a rebuild this was and just how much, um, you know, time it takes to, to get a rebuild like this, um, like fully in gear, like obviously a, a, a transcendent player like Tarek Dungy and some of the other um, seniors that graduated in 2018 were all helpful, obviously, some more of them too in 2019 um, were key parts, but realistically, like, you know, this is something that's going to take a little bit. Um, We got really lucky in 2018. We got really unlucky in 2019. So 2020, if it's even middle of the road, um, but given the schedule, that should mean a bowl game. Yeah. I think it's uh, it takes like a, it's a pretty long process in actually like building a team uh, or building a program up from where it was. And I think honestly, the problem is like, Marone was almost there and didn't finish the job. And that's not like, you know, his fault. He had got a good opportunity in the NFL. But then, you know, when the Schaefer thing happens, it, it kind of sets you back uh, closer to where you were when you started than where you had reached. And so the Babers rebuild, I do think, is bigger than people probably 
wanted to admit or or even like understood um just because like it didn't feel like we had fallen all the way back when we probably were closer than we uh than we expected you true uh why don't we take a little bit of a break for our sponsor and we're back with some halftime dan i know it's been a little bit um I'll say, what have you been drinking? And let's try to limit it to <laughs> maybe like December 20th or so. Yeah, I, I was kind of uh, trying to get a shorter list uh, of the last couple of weeks while I was home. Um, had some uh, left-hand uh, Flamingo Dreams, uh, which is a blonde with some uh, fruity notes. Uh, it was quite good. Uh, let me pull up my list. I got caught on the wrong page here. Um, had... Uh, the apricot stealing from Duclaw, one of my local bars up here is having a Duclaw like month. So a bunch of their stuff's up, but I hadn't had the apricot, uh, which was very good. Um, more like, this is like a dumb statement. Um, often I feel like apricot beers don't really taste much like apricot. They just kind of taste like generic kind of sour sours. Um, this one actually tastes like the fruit itself, which was uh, a nice touch. Um, had an almost famous IPA from Torch and Crown. Uh, and uh, we'll go with uh, some IPW uh, India Pale Wheat from Queens Brewing. Very nice. Yeah, I have to agree with the uh, apricot point. I think there's only a handful. I think like, apricot wheat's tough because I feel like a uh, wheat beer in general like takes over the flavor. Yeah, um, it's a powerful flavor. Like the general like wheat beer flavor in general uh, is tough to balance out with like a specific fruit. Right. But uh, yeah, this one like I was like, oh, that's actual apricot, like the the actual unique flavor of apricot versus just like generic citrusy flower or uh, uh citrusy sour totally makes sense yeah I, there's only like a handful i've ever had most of them are from the brewery in orange county that are like really deliver on the uh the apricot. um on my end i had a bunch uh went down to monkish over in torrance had a conjoined triangles of success a triple ipa from them it was really really good had a, a carrito from them which is a double milk stout with chocolate had a KBS espresso, espresso that was really, really good. Um, for those who haven't seen the espresso variant of, uh, of KBS, it, it has been in stores for a couple of weeks. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, had Monkish's uh, Old Head Hustle, just another one of their uh, double IPAs they put out. Had from Modern Times, had Mega Spaceways, uh, double IPA. Drank some Mythic Worlds from Modern Times as well. Has Double Gator, it's just a double IPA version of uh, Amalgamator from Beechwood and some Stone Tropic of Thunder Lager, which is a, a common theme for me since it's one of the only beers I feel like I can get a total wine lately that isn't like six months old. I actually have not seen that KBS espresso. I've had KBS sometime recently because it's out, but have not seen that one. Highly recommend the espresso. Super good, not too sweet. Definitely, coffee definitely comes through in like a not too like aggressive way, but in it just it tastes like a really well balanced beer. I definitely enjoyed it. Nice, off to keep an eye out. Yeah, and so now we switch over to basketball for a bit. Um, James and Bobby are going to talk about Notre Dame uh, later in the week, so we're going to talk about what's happened so far in this season. Obviously, SU's eight and five. I would say that the Niagara win was uninspired. <laughs> Just kind of playing through the motions. I'd say, to be honest, though, that like this was one of the only times I'm like accepting it because I think they got out to a hot start. Beheim knew the game was like in hand and then started kind of toying around some stuff. Um, so I actually commend him a little bit for being able to, you know, just do that without losing handle on the game. Um, obviously, Niagara is nowhere near as talented as Syracuse is and, and, and probably will never be. Um, just based on just what Niagara is as a program. Um, I think that the real concern now, though, is just injuries. Um, you know, Jim kind of has an excuse now to go with a seven-man rotation because despite having a full complement of scholarship, we only have like seven healthy players. Um, and it's kind of scary when you consider what we've watched already with, with a much healthier group. Yeah, it's uh, certainly not what you want. Um, I did appreciate, as you said, like, Obviously, the game got closer than people wanted, but it never felt like Niagara was really going to take it. Uh, and thank God, they're 2-9. and nine. <laughs> um, It would have been just about as bad as, as it gets. But um, I did appreciate him toying with some bigger lineups. Now, I don't know if that'll be a, really a thing going forward, especially because Braswell, uh, it sounds like they're leaning towards shutting him down, which, based on what was said in terms of like his, his shin injuries, like it kind of seems like it might be the right move as 
difficult as that is uh, with the depth that we have. Um, but overall, like, we're not going to have that much more time to experiment with, like, interesting lineups if we're rolling out with seven guys, or maybe eight if Gooding and Washington uh, find their way both into the rotation, which doesn't seem super likely. Uh, Washington had pretty much taken that role as the third guard in as much as there is one um, pretty clearly uh, before he went out with an injury. It sounds like he'll be back uh, soon-ish, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just tough because going into the year, even if we had some doubts as to like what the, the ceiling of this team would be, um, we thought it'd be kind of exciting to see a team with as many guys who can play as this one. And obviously those numbers have kind of dwindled down to the you know, base level of what we ever see with Syracuse at like that seven die mark. So um, yeah, it's, it's just been a weird season so far. Like I think there have been some moments that have been nice, like the Georgia tech win, obviously Georgia tech, I don't think we expect too much from, but kind of showed that like when we're playing our best, we'll, we're, we're desperately not one of the worst teams in the ACC and we can like absolutely dominate a team that, you know, we probably thought we were kind of on par with going, the, uh, going in and a team that's played us pretty tight over the years, but um, still like, it's hard to, it's hard to really have like these super high expectations after this eight and five start when uh, aside from tech, like every other uh, kind of peer program handled us pretty easily. So we'll see. I mean, if Notre Dame, um, if we can put forward a nice, uh, nice, it's Notre Dame at home here, like maybe start things start to trend upwards. Uh, I know Notre Dame's not like a great opponent throw into in uh, ACC play already, but um I feel like they're usually relatively tough and uh, have some guys who should be able to give us problems. So I know they're going to talk about it more later in the week, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to really get super excited every time. I think there's like a moment we have a loss or we have like a really uninspired stretch of non-conference games. Um, but we'll see I, this college basketball season overall has been so, so strange and so unpredictable and no one really looks really even like good. Uh, so it's hard to it's almost made it hard to get worked up over what Syracuse is or isn't. Yeah, this is fair. I mean, realistically, I don't think SU can make tournament. Um, that's just that's not me being like super negative. That's just me looking at like the realities of it and looking at what we need to do to get there. Um, the, just what our resume looks like right now, what the ACC looks like, which is kind of in shambles. Um, aside from the top handful, the fact that most of our tough opponents are at home. Actually, almost all of them are. <laughs> There's definitely just a lot of like difficulty. And I again, I don't really see a path for us getting there. I've been wrong before. And obviously, if we win the ACC tournament or come close, then, then all bets are off. But um, yeah, I, I think right now, it's it, there's a lot of problematic things. I think, you know, you have... There's a lot of things you could apply for this season. I think there's like, you know, is this the, the Joe Girard, you know, improperly placed uh, savior complex um, season? Is this the, oh, Buddy Bayheim's our second leading scorer season? Um, there's the Elijah Hughes show season. Um, the Marek Dolzhai is never healthy, but is actually playing pretty well season. The Sidibe is still a black hole on def- on offense season. Or the where the hell is Quincy Garrier season? Like, realistically, like, you know, there's only, again, a handful of guys who played in, I think, six guys who played in all 13 games, which is insane, even for a Bayheim team. Um, I think Gary is the real like kind of missing link um, when it comes to this team on, on both ends is just a guy that I think both of us, especially given like some of the NBA draft, like murmurs seem like a guy who could potentially come in and at least like be a reasonable facsimile for, um, for O'Shea Brissett. And instead he's kind of just kind of lurked around in the shadows. He's only uh, averaging like 17 minutes per game he's only scoring five and a half per game um he's getting on the board he's got four and a half per game but like realistically he's just not he hasn't been a a, a big part of of what SU's been doing um on either end and I think really like it's not to peg it just on him but I feel like his emergence or the emergence maybe a guy like Jesse Edwards who's been injured like could could have been the difference um between this team struggling through an eight and five start or maybe you know getting off to a ten and three start which would have been a lot easier to come back from yeah, the dairy thing is is just a, a real mystery. Like, as you said, entering the year, if there was a guy that we thought would jump early to the NBA, like he was it just based on you look at him and he just looks, he streams NBA player. And sometimes when I see Bayheim talk about a freshman who and, and who we think should be playing more, uh, and he says something like he just doesn't know how to play yet, like it seems a little ridiculous. But 
you watch Carrier, and there are times where he looks like really good, and he he, he attacks the boards really aggressively, and you can kind of see it. But then, like a lot of the time, you're like, oh, Bayham's right. Like he really doesn't know what he's doing yet, and that's not like a knock. Um, it's just like college basketball is a huge step up, and I, I do wonder if like coming from Canada, it's even more so because you're not uh, as involved with like you know the 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 systems here. The uh, that were you playing college level athletes or future college level athletes all the time? Um, right. I'm not sure what the competition was like for him. On well, Quebec but, too, I feel like you're not going to get the same even competition levels like Ontario, um, right? And, and like British Columbia, which have like much like bigger, I feel like uh, basketball circuits at the high school level. Yeah, so he's the guy who like I. It actually feels like Beheim's not being a, a bit facetious when he says something like that. I think he said it about Quincy, I, I believe, uh, sometimes in the se- sometime in the season. Um, I, I'm still kind of enamored with Jesse Edwards when he plays. Uh, obviously, he was hurt this last game, but and I think Beheim actually mentioned it. Like, uh, it feels like he might be a guy who starts to get some more minutes coming on, just as he he seems to have those skills that we we don't have we haven't had a lot of uh, at a big men in a long time. Um, but overall, like with this starting lineup, it just feels like everyone's kind of being thrust into like one tier higher than they should be uh, at this point in the careers. Like, I think in an ideal world, Hughes is like a really good number two, and he's he's played quite well. Um, he almost had a triple double the other night. He was one uh, rebound, one assist shy. Um, but he's like doing like the best he can as that number one option. But then like Buddy should probably be like a number three option who's getting open looks, and he and he's not. He's forced into being the number two scorer um Gerard probably shouldn't be a starter right now and I think he's done okay he's inconsistent um but like people probably put too much on his plate overall and especially after like kind of a hot start to his career and you know there are nights where he looks great but he he'd probably be best like as a smart plug off the bench so it's just like a I think everyone's just like one tier above where if this was like a really solid tournament contender team they would be and that's just an, that's just a problem across the board because you know, one guy has a really poor game and it kind of derails everything. Yeah. I mean, this is where like kind of the depth issues come in and this is where like the continued effect, like the sanctions are over, but the continued effect of them, um, you know, was going to stick around for a while. And you saw this, like not to make this direct comparison, but like, this is what you saw with like USC uh, football after they had, you know, sanctions that kind of, at least according to their fans, just like ours, went like kind of above and beyond uh, probably where they should have. And, and the problem is when you add, you know, a lack of depth to, um, you know, steps back in recruiting um, in part, you know, when Mike Hopkins left um, and also a lot of really surprising departures over the last five, six years, like that. It's not to say that like, you know, SU is the only program that deals with this, but they're the only one that seemed that was ill-equipped necessarily to deal with surprise departures and all the other type of stuff like that. Um, everybody I think is, is, is understanding that surprise departures can happen um because of what college basketball is right now but SU just wasn't necessarily equipped to have this like fleet of four and five stars ready to backfill and now what you're seeing is when you have a team largely full of like you know high three and like low four star guys is like you're playing like one um against you know top competition and and sometimes not so top competition uh I I think that you know this is it's not just to belabor the same points over and over again but it's to point out that like you know this things aren't necessarily going to get any better for this coming class. Um, and really like the 2021 class is now becoming like kind of a make or break group um, for Syracuse because uh, they really have to land some sort of four, some like high four and, and five-star guys um, as, as Bayheim's kind of wrapping up his career. Otherwise like this thing could really start to, to, to smolder a bit. <laughs> so I, I, I'm definitely a little concerned, obviously, um, you know, Bayheim's been able to, to get as much as he can out of these guys, but realistically like this is like you said it's a lot of guys who are being thrust you know into a position you know a, a rung or two above where they need to be and, and and a lot of these guys could have benefited potentially from you know learning on, on the job over time from older players and like this is the issue where like SU, i mean you and i talked about this years ago like coach k pivoted on a dime to a different type of recruiting a different type of program building at duke and like syracuse has kind of you know managed to like sit in the middle um, between like, oh, we, we recruit four-year guys and, oh, we, you know, want one and dones. And because I guess they didn't commit to one or the other, um, this is what happens is that you end up in this limbo situation where then you end you have all these guys who could be, could and should be three and four-year guys like, 
like Buddy Beheim, like Joe Girard, and then you have you know all the one and dones leave, and then you end up with this group of guys who like are all playing either out of position or or, or just out of their role. Yeah, it's it's just a weird confluence of things. Uh, what was the program recently that just got hit with like some things that looked very similar to what our penalties were, but got basically a slap on the wrist versus us? I think Billis basically like directly cited us as to like a fan base that should, that should be mad about it. Uh, I mean, Louisville really didn't have much happen to them. It was a little. It was like a couple days ago. Let me. I, I will look this up while you're talking about other stuff. <laughs> no, I, I think you, you nailed it head on, though. It's just this combination of losing guys early, um, like earlier than you expected, as well as uh, getting caught with the like inability to really build depth behind them um, and trying to like thread the needle between getting those program guys and those star players. And when you have star players leave um, over and over, coming off of like seasons that were probably less than you expect star players to leave off of. Uh, and then having to backfill with guys getting bumped up to positions that they shouldn't uh, necessarily be in at the time that they are thrust into them. It's just like all of it makes for a bad situation. Um, yeah. So it, it's just, uh, it's tough. Also, I, it might've been Georgia tech, but I, I don't think it was. That was a TCU football mostly, but basketball yes. too. It was yes. probation. TCU got probation for, for overpaying athletes for on-campus jobs. Right, which I know that wasn't the whole thing, but it was like half of it, and was made a, a huge deal was made out of it. The 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 YMCA jobs or whatever, and uh, yeah, Louisville got basically no real substantial penalty. Yeah, this is which is fine. Like I don't think it's like you know I don't know that they should have. It's just how does everyone play? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely odd. I think. I think Beheim's demeanor didn't help and not to blame him for it completely. But yeah, I do think his demeanor definitely didn't help. I think there's a lot of people who are, when you have this like unilateral organization that doesn't really answer to anyone and doesn't really have to prove their work. Um, you can just decide, no, nah, I don't like a guy and just like <laughs> can him. <laughs> yeah. So we will see like there's this ongoing, I don't know. It's just an ongoing, uh, issue and there's going to be a lot of trepidation over like where where we end up with the end of this Bayheim tenure and and maybe things turn around this year but I think we've all kind of resigned ourselves to this not being a tournament season. Um, hopefully we can see some like development at the very least and Bayheim doesn't end up just playing like the same seven guys if the other guys can be getting minutes later on in the year if you know there's nothing really to play for so yeah it's just a weird spot to be in especially because like we're so rarely just so out of all, all the way out of it we usually just get left out at the last second. Um, but I, I am hoping that at the very least we find some good, uh, to come out of it, even if like, it's not apparent right now, because just like a total loss season with no benefit or no player development or whatnot would, would really, really be unfortunate. Um, and you know, you, you hope that next year we can start, I mean, find something else to bolster this class. Not that I don't like, like, uh, the two guys we have coming in. I think they're both talented. They're both like solid four-star guys, the type of, guys we hope we're making our class out of but um it doesn't seem like it's going to like add to our roster enough in one year to then turn around next year um so i i do wonder if we i i know it burned us a little bit last time but i do wonder if we uh, look in the draft transfer well uh once again here to try to get like things back get a grad stopped. transfer from a zone team yes go find eastern michigan's best player and get them over here or like Washington, like a Washington senior that like looks over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was just like looking over the games and trying to like figure out like which which of the games that's happened so far is like, do you think is like stereotypical of Syracuse this season? And I feel like, I feel like the Georgetown game, unfortunately, is the game that I look at. That's the one that felt most likely, yeah. As like a team that was maybe slightly more talented, but not by much. Um, Georgetown was also playing pretty shorthanded at the time, but like, yeah, just managed to shred the zone by way of our, you know, ineptitude in the middle. And I think that's probably going to be the theme of, of ACC play. Obviously the games change quite a bit and there's only a handful of like, you know, honest to God centers, but nonetheless, like, I mean, again, Bobby and James will get into this, um, later in the week, but uh, it, it's definitely not a, 
not not the mystic outlook. And yeah, I, I think if we're ever going to have to play through a stretch like this and, and, and you know, I'm going to do what I can to keep people interested. Um, I would like to see yeah, guys like Edwards get on the court, guys like Gary get on the court. Um, I'd like to see like as, as much as it sucks at this point, damage is done, uh, you know, get Gerard out there and, and let, let's, let's see him try to develop and try to get better. And like, you know, this team reminds me right now a little bit of the, the, uh, you know, 07, 08 team, you know, I mean, different circumstances led to this, but ravaged by injury, not great on defense, um, a pretty good offensive team and a pretty good shooting team. Um, that team was better in transition, I think, and had better defenders on the team, even if they weren't great at team defense at the time. Um, but a lot of those guys learned plenty um, in that season. I mean, that was, you know, the Dante Green year. Um, Green didn't stick around, but, you know, Johnny Flynn was still there and, and Paul Harris and all these other guys. Like, so I'm not saying that these guys are those guys, um, but there's an opportunity there for, for these players to, to learn on the job, um, despite the fact they probably shouldn't be put in these positions. Um, similar to the way the, the 07 08 squad did. Yeah. And I think there are comparisons with that team. Um, and that team kind of, you know, following the next year or starting the next year, kind of went off on a rocket to one of our one to stretches of like really good play year over year for a while. Um, obviously the nine team was a little different than the 2010 team, which really started that, but um, it'd be nice if that, if, if, if it worked out that way, uh, I think the injuries were probably more impactful that year. If, if there weren't the deep and and the Routens injuries, um, we, you know, I think that team very likely makes a tournament and it's not quite the same thing, but right. um, yeah, it's just, uh, if that's like, I mean, I think that honestly might be like best case scenario for what we're looking at here. Yeah. Unfortunately I have to agree there. Um, also of note, I was looking at how many times uh, Elijah Hughes led the team in scoring. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So eight of the, Eight of the 13 games, and just so happens that, no, okay, it wasn't. I thought for some reason, I thought Hughes actually led this team in scoring in all the wins, but not the losses. That was not the case. Uh, Hughes led the team in scoring eight times. Uh, Buddy Beheim's led the team in scoring three times. Uh, Dolzhai won. Gerard won. What team What, what team was the Dolzhai one? Uh, that was the Iowa game. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that might, might not be the best stripped. <laughs> yeah, 12 points. Oh, yeah. No. No thanks. Yeah. Hard pass on that. Uh, other than that game, well, actually, the, yeah, the first game, too, sucked. Obviously, the Virginia game, you had 14 to uh, to lead the way. So definitely not not ideal. Rebounding's actually gotten better from the leading rebounder of late, anyway. So DB's had uh, two 13 rebound games in the last three. Um, I know uh, Matt Gutierrez wrote about assists. I know James wrote about assists a couple weeks ago. This is actually one, like one of the best um, ball movement teams for Syracuse in like two decades, which is. I think that's like kind weird. of a noisy number, though. Because we're taking so many jump shots that like those are just assisted generally. Right. Um, I do think like maybe this is a better ball movement team because you have guys like like Dolja is such a good passing big man uh, that that helps. But I think none of like, these guys can create their own shot either. So that's, probably that's why. yeah, that's the other problem. <laughs> like. That's why stats are always taken best in context. Not that I think it's a bad ball movement team. It's just they're not they're as good as that. Why. Right? Yeah. Fair is fair. <laughs> All right. I don't want to talk about this best ball team anymore. Very fair. Jesus. In that yeah, fair. We're going to end up talking about like people want winter ahead. <laughs> we're going to start talking about just like bad beats and like the, the the women's hoops team managing to like get to the tournament at like sixteen and sixteen. And like lacrosse, probably. I I will the women's tournament the women's team honestly like they were uh, dealt such a bad hand to start the season or in the summer when the Tiana news came out that like I can't blame them really for anything, uh, which is unfair. Like probably not like the best way to approach things, and obviously people aren't blameless. But as like a more casual watcher of that team, it I just have, find every time like something doesn't go well, I'm like, yeah, but Tiana should be there, and she's not. Yeah, could you imagine like this tough. team with this schedule, like this team plus Tiana with this schedule? Oh, they'd be amazing. They'd be so yeah, good. They'd, like, they'd, they'd be, be top seven. Yeah, they would have beaten Louisville the other night. Like they and they've played really hard, which is uh, like the when I when I've tuned in, um, which is most of the bigger games that we've lost, unfortunately. Um, you, you like you it, you see like they're just that piece away. 
uh, from being super competitive with these teams. And they're competitive in general. Like, they, they play really hard. I think uh, Chu is really just kind of, like, has that thing rolling in terms of, like, he gets his girls in there. They play for him. Um, it's just impressive overall, basically, since that championship game. Um, but, like, it just it's tough to think about it and be like, yeah. And if you just plug in an All-American all point guard, just be that much better. <laughs> As, but, you know, what can you do? I mean, there's, like, it's completely blameless in that that regard. So hopefully they sink in the tournament, get some good experience, and then next year is a special year. Oh, yeah. And, like, realistically, like, I think the ACC is, like, not as, like, top to bottom deep as it has been. So, like, they should be able to just based on – like, as long as they can score, like, another, I think, big win. They already had the Michigan State one. They could score, like, another big win here. I'll feel pretty good. Um, schedule's already, like, one of the strongest, if not the strongest in the country. Um, Kara Lewis has played really well. Emily Angsler has really come on after, like, a kind of questionable, like, freshman season. So I- I'm excited about that group. But, yeah, you-, you can't help but think, like, damn it. Like, if Tiana was just on the court, like, this team this team would be, like, again, like, top five to seven. They would have upset Louisville the other night. Like, th- th- there's a lot of – I mean, hopefully this pays a lot of dividends for next year because there's a lot of young players and a lot of young, talented players on this team. And Tiana joining them. Um, could mean, you know, a really big year for SU. And hopefully, you know, we don't miss out on our window, um, given like the, again, the ACC is a little bit down, quote unquote, comparatively to like the last, you know, five, six years. Yeah, I, I buy that. And uh, something to look forward to. But I think they're a fun team anyway. So support them if you can, if you're in the area. Go to some games. There are far worse ways to spend your time. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I can think of one worse way, the men's basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> more expensive you probably get worse seats you're they're less fun women's. the women's team is fun they, they play a fun brand of basketball every year don't support them uh support the men's team too but you're already doing that if you're listening to this so support the women's team yeah exactly just use your time wisely <laughs> give your time and, and energy to people that deserve 2020 we're all about self-care and part of self-care is focusing on the syracuse women's basketball team this man preaches truth uh, Dan, anything else before we uh, we depart 2019 and this decade? Well, I guess it depends on how you define decade, but no, this is it's the end. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the I'm end. not here for this like one to one to zero nonsense. Um, no, just hope everyone has a good time tomorrow night or tonight when you're listening to this. If you're listening on New Year's Eve, uh, for reasons, uh, stay safe. Uh, you know, just everyone. Uh, Someone have mercy on your soul for spending New Year's Eve listening to us. Repent to whatever higher power you need to repent to. Um, If that's Jim Beheim, I think we need to have a talk about idolatry. Um, But overall, uh, yeah, we'll see everyone on the other side. Good times. Good times. All right. That was uh, Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on uh, Megaphone, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, a bunch of other places, and go orange. Go orange.